Welcome to the Field Goals Podcast. I'm Brandon Schultz, and our Seattle Seahawks are now 10-2 and and number one in the NFC West, tied with the 49ers with a 10-2 and record. And with the 49ers loss, that means the Seahawks move into first place with the win over San Francisco a couple weeks back. Four games left on the schedule. Not only that, they continue their perfect record in December in primetime under Pete Carroll. And joining me to talk about it, Alistair Corp from Field Goals. Alistair, what a win. What a win. What a typically uh, complicated, bizarre game from the Seahawks. <laughs> they get the 37-30 to 30 win, and that's after a Rashad Penny 13-yard pass for a touchdown in the fourth quarter to put it up 34-17 as Seahawks fans were all looking at that. Okay, 13 minutes left on the clock, up by 17 points. Uh, our, our Seahawks, we, we, I guess we should have just known that the Seahawks weren't going to make it easy and two touchdowns allow the Vikings to get back in the game. Maybe we should have seen it coming because that's what happened in that game against the Broncos with them going into their bye week. But the Vikings do it to us again and they make it they make it close. But the, the Seahawks able to come away with a win. Yeah, it seemed inevitable, but also like absurd because the Seahawks were up three, like 2017, and then go up 10 points. And it seems like, okay, yeah, now this is more fitting of the game. Like yeah. It seemed like a pretty Seahawks dominant game. And then all of a sudden, it's like, nope, we're just going to fail to convert some turnovers and touchdowns and keep them in it. And uh, yeah, it, uh, it's just ridiculous. Very classic, but uh, another thriller. Well, and it wasn't uh, made any less of a thriller with Russell Wilson helping the Vikings early on with a tipped pass that it, it's tipped back to Russell. And probably if he just lets it go, it hits the ground. Uh, but Russ, trying to spike it down in the ground, Karch Karai style, uh, ends up tipping it up in the air and uh, right to Harris. And Harris takes it in for the pick six. The The Vikings are up 14 to seven and uh, they make it a little bit closer closer right before the half but I guess it just it kind of felt Seahawky at that point going in with uh, being down at the half but knowing that the Vikings got the ball back there was there was an added sense of pressure to it too yeah and just like thinking about that batted thing like I I, I understand what he was doing of course but like you said I think it would have just fallen to the turf like when it happened in the moment I thought I think that's the stupidest thing Russell Wilson's ever done in the NFL. And like, which is not hardly an indictment because he's a brilliant, brilliant, uh, I don't mean in a derogatory way, but like a game manager in terms of always doing the right thing. Yeah. And yeah, I think it would have just fallen to the turf and uh, that happens. You just think, oh my God, it's going to be one of those nights. <laughs> it was, but it turned out okay. Especially when you look back to the two losses that the Seahawks have had at home. You know, the loss to the Saints, where they're giving them easy points on, uh, I think that was on special teams, where they gave them some easy points. And then against Baltimore, they had the two offensive turnovers uh, for scores. And, you know, holding that Baltimore offense to 16 points, but giving them another 14 points off of, you know, the Russell Wilson pick six and then the DK Metcalf fumble for the return against the Ravens. And, uh, and so it, it felt like that was, we're witnessing that all over again. Yeah, they kind of need to beat themselves to lose at home. Yeah. You know, nothing against Ravens or Saints. And then, yeah, that happens. And you're like, oh, my God. But, uh, yeah, uh, they they were they were just the better team wire to wire. So it was okay, I guess, at the end. It, it definitely did feel like, even down at the half, it definitely felt like they were the better team. They were stopping Dalvin Cook on the ground. He finishes nine attempts, 29 yards. Unfortunately, he had to go out because of a shoulder injury. He never came back into the game. Kind of a weird play where both the two best players for the Vikings with Dalvin Cook and Stephon Diggs going down on the same play. 
It was so alarming. They kind of like widened the camera angle and you're like, okay, so there's, oh, and there's digs down as well right there. It's just one of the most bizarre things I can remember seeing. uh, Just like the worst case scenario for Minnesota fans. But um, it sounds like Cook's okay. And then obviously Diggs could return. So, so long term, that's all right for them. But uh, yeah, that was a bizarre turn of events. But what a big shift in the, in the game at that point, because that fumble by Dalvin Cook, uh, Rasheem Green causes that fumble. And, and that was the play where those two guys were injured. And that ends up leading to a field goal it almost led to a touchdown but david moore in the end zone on third down just i don't i don't know why he couldn't extend his arms fully uh to try and catch that touchdown pass but russell put it just in the in the perfect spot for him but uh more unable to fully extend his arms i don't know if that had anything to do with the the flu symptoms that he had this week or uh if if he just uh, couldn't couldn't fully extend yeah, you almost wonder like if it was a case of he was so close to the sideline there that he was thinking two things at once. Like, right. okay, I got to stick my hands out, but I also got to keep my feet in. And just it was too much going on for the guy, but um, he, he made up for it, so it's okay. He did make up for it. He finished the day with two catches, sixty-five yards, and one of those a sixty-yard bomb by Russell Wilson, where he was just wide open, and and Russ hits him perfectly in stride for the touchdown. And then you get like the perfect thing that you just always love to see the opponent happening where Xavier Rose is just like melting down on the sideline. Right. And it's, uh, it's just so satisfying to watch. I don't understand what he was trying to communicate there because Harrison Smith was he was up on the line. And so I don't I don't know how he expected there to be help uh, behind him with with Smith like on the line. <laughs> Yeah, well, one of the uh, one of the Vikings beat writers that I follow on Twitter was essentially saying like everybody on the sideline is trying to tell Xavier Rhodes that was his fault, and Xavier Rhodes is trying to tell everyone on the sideline it was anybody else's fault. <laughs> yeah, that sounds about right. Well, they have struggled with giving up the the deep ball this year. I know that was kind of a frustration among Vikings fans going into this game. So I'm, I'm glad it played out in our favor. So uh, a big day by Moore with the touchdown catch. Uh, Rashad Penny, I mentioned his 13-yard touchdown catch. Uh, those are the two touchdown passes by Russell Wilson in this game. 240 yards and 21 completions on 31 attempts. Russ finishes the day with a 98.9 quarterback rating, just under uh, the the 100. I, I suppose he would have gone over had he not given up that interception. Yeah, it would have cleaned it well over. Then um, there's the, the, that weird, weird sack that he took. Oh my gosh! And like that was very like typical of early career Russ, but then it was, I'm not sure what Dwayne Brown was doing in the middle of the play, but he seemed to be putting up his hands, like protesting something, trying to get the official attention. I think he was saying that he had got some hands to the face on that play. Okay. Yeah. They, it was like typical Monday night football broadcast where they do everything, but show replays after plays. (laughs) Like, let let me, let me show you a claymation of these former players. But like, (laughs) I was was really curious as to what had happened, but um, and then it was just like he ended up pushing the guy on the ground, but then Russ kind of spins right into him. But um, yeah, in the fourth quarter, as the Seahawks are just trying to run clock out, and they they have a successful first down run, they get four yards, and Russell Wilson just backs up, backs up, and doesn't throw it away. Ends up taking a sack. I guess that means that more time was allowed to come yeah. off the clock. But then then they're in third and nineteen. And then they take a timeout rather than just, it's already third and 19. Why do you not take a delay a game and save the timeout? That, those ones drive me crazy. Like I, I was pretty annoyed early in the game when, um, when Pete challenged the, the Stefan Diggs catch when he extended it out. And like, oh. it was, it was clearly a terrible call by the official, but you just got to think like, is it worth fight, it? Fight, fight, yeah. Like exactly fight the right battles there. Is it really, really worth it? And then you get the first down like on the, on the next play. But, um, you know, 
the peak criticism is very loud and it's those game management parts where it's very justified. I don't agree with all of it, but the game management parts, you just got to shake your head sometimes, but, um, well, you were yeah. shaking your heads at time, but then there was the, the big balls, uh, play by Pete going for it on, on fourth down with the fake punt and Travis Homer picking up 29 yards on the, on the fake punt. That was awesome too. I can't remember what week it was in the, in the season when they switched from from Griffin to Homer as kind of the the personal protector on punt team. But he's just so explosive. You had to think like as soon as they put him in that they started installing a fake or two, and uh, that was the, just the perfect moment to pull it out. It was it was unbelievable. <laughs> Up thirty four to twenty four with just under eleven minutes left. The Vikings had just scored to to put it within ten points, and yeah, the, rather than punt it back after I believe it would have been a three and out. And so they're able to flip field position, uh, but then they're unable to come away with points because a DK Metcalf fumble again. Uh, gosh, he he gets you know both feet down. Initially, it's called an incomplete pass, but Vikings able to to recover the football and then drive it down the length of the field. They get six points, but then they 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 miss the extra point. So it it helps keep it to a, to a four point game at least. Yeah, that was just a that miss. You just start laughing because it's just that perfect spot where, like, the worst thing in the world for them is to have that extra point be missed because then it's not not a three point game. And uh, it's the weird thing with DK Metcalf though is like as a prospect, you know, drops were definitely an issue. But I think on the season, it's maybe a generous number. But I think he like officially is only has five or six drops, but it just seems to be translating into fumbles instead, and it's just killing him in certain spots and it really killed him tonight i mean uh, like you said it wasn't as bad as that baltimore fumble but it just uh he's gotta correct it he's gotta gotta correct it it's 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 getting brutal yeah and the way that you know it's one of those kind of weird plays where you turn up field and and the guy just hits it right on the ball the the seahawks haven't had very good fumble luck where it comes to players just, you know, punching at just the right spot or, you know, lowering the shoulder at just the, the right position. I suppose they're, they're professional football players for a reason, but you know, it just seems like there's so many plays like that where the, the opposing team is, is just hitting in the exact perfect position at just the right time to, to force these turnovers for the Seahawks. Yeah, I guess like, I mean, it is one of those things that's just, you know, it's cyclical. It'll, Next year, I'm sure it won't be as bad. I can't see Chris Carson having seven fumbles in, in 2020, but uh, it just seems like this year, yeah, every time they start rolling a little bit, Defender just hits it right perfectly and it pops out. And um, it's it's just getting really frustrating. And it puts every single fumble under like a, a larger microscope because then it's like, oh, this again. And uh, it's kind of, it over, I mean, Metcalf was their leading receiver on the night and he did a lot of good things. You know, he's getting so good at that, like, He's coming back to the ball, he's running a curl, and he's just sealing out the defender perfectly. He's getting really good at that, but then that fumble just kind of hangs over everything because it's it's a case of, oh my god, again. But uh, yeah, I guess it didn't cost him all, all that much tonight. Six receptions on the night, 75 yards. He had seven targets, so just uh, missed connecting on one of those passes. Uh, one guy that Russell didn't connect with on the night, Tyler Lockett, targeted three times, comes away with zero receptions. Yeah, I, th- I think I saw... It might have been Bob Condotta. Uh, I'm not sure I'm pronouncing his last name right, but um, he suggested that um, you know he he was one of the guys who was out with the flu this week and says that he may have still been um, 
still been kind of feeling the effects of that, which honestly was almost reassuring to me because tonight was when I started to suspect like maybe that injury that he suffered in San Francisco was starting to starting to bother him a little bit more. It had been bothering more than we thought. Um, But, you know, if it's just the flu, hopefully we see a big game next week against the Rams because they they need Lockett to be the number one receiver who he's been. They can't just be getting like a pair of targets every game. Yeah. Combine those two things, the the flu with the recovering from the shin injury. And uh, that that could be what Tyler's dealing with. But other receivers on the night, we saw Josh Gordon out there for one catch on a third down for a first down. And I, it was early on in the game. I thought we, we might see a little bit more Josh Gordon in this game. But turns out that was his one catch for the night. Yeah, it's uh, it's very curious usage. And, you know, every single time he's been targeted, it's just been this like insanely easy pitch and catch. Uh, although like tonight's catch came on an f- unbelievable Russell Wilson fastball. Um, that thing just came out firing. But um they seem to have a really, really efficient connection. You just want to see him targeted a couple times more. Um, I saw some people kind of calling for, for Gordon to get some of Metcalf snaps tonight. Mm-hmm. I don't know that that's entirely beneficial for anybody, but um, yeah, you like to see him, even if it's just five targets a night, you know, he's going to turn that into some, some good numbers. So I'd like to see him get involved more moving forward for sure. Well, it definitely seems like Pete Carroll is into uh, making sure the guys who put in the work are getting the reps. And we're going to talk about that after the break because we had two running backs getting a lot of reps in this game. And let's talk about Rashad Penny and Chris Carson coming up right after the break. Joined by Alistair Corp of Field Goals, talking about the Seahawks' 37-30 victory over the Minnesota Vikings. And they did it on the backs of their running backs, Chris Carson and Rashad Penny. Chris Carson, 23 carries, 102 yards on the night. And Rashad Penny, 15 carries, 74 yards. And it and each one of those guys getting a touchdown on the night. Rashad Penny, I feel like we're seeing a little bit more from him that we haven't seen in the past. His big strength was always kind of that explosiveness as a prospect. And then as we found out or got it confirmed last week, I suppose he had some weight issues last year. But uh, every single time he's touching the ball this year, he's just like shot out a cannon. And um, he had way more success running inside tonight, too, which was which was really nice to see because a lot of his kind of positive runs uh, up to this point had kind of been outside runs, which are definitely a strength. But for him to be able to kind of replicate what Chris Carson gives his team is huge, both in terms of kind of him getting further opportunities as, as the season goes along and, you know, just uh, kind of keep Carson fresh, which they have been doing a terrible job of before kind of last week. I don't know if they're doing any better with it with 23 <laughs> carries for Carson on the night, but uh, you know, both running backs, if you include receiving yardage, they're both over a hundred yards because with 74 yards on the ground with Penny, he had 33 yards through the air and you mentioned it with Penny going between the tackles. It definitely seems to me that there's more of a, a toughness that we see that, I don't know, earlier on, it just seemed like when he ran between the tackles, he was going down on first contact. But now I feel like he's running some dudes over and, and maybe even looking for some contact in some cases. Yeah, well, that's great to see, too, because, you know, his, his big strength, like as a prospect um, in terms of kind of contact, you know, he wasn't finishing the way that Carson finishes. But he had that like wide base split legged running style like Marshawn did. So, you know, guys would kind of bounce off of him, but that really hasn't been the case, as you said, you know. We're seeing him almost develop into a more Seattle style runner, which which is a little bit of a a, uh, a departure from how he was in college. But um it's it's more fitting of Seattle and it enables them to kind of run him inside more, which is awesome. Well, let's flip over and talk about the defense because the defense in this game shutting down the run game for the Vikings. And, you know, Dalvin Cook, you know, talking to the the guys from the Daily Norseman, 
uh, you know, they had mentioned that he was really the reason why Cousins has been able to have the turnaround this season that he has, been able to take care of the football. He doesn't have quite as much pressure on him. But we, we saw Cook come out of the game. Cousins on the night, you know, 22 completions, 38 attempts, 276 yards. He had the two touchdown passes, but he had the one interception by and, and Trey Flowers picked it off a, a great interception by Flowers. That was an unbelievable interception. <laughs> I saw a couple of people kind of campaigning for for PI, but I'm I'm not having any of that. I think that was <laughs> an amazing interception, and uh, you know, Flowers has kind of plateaued a little bit between between 2018 and 2019. But in terms of like ball skills, he's had some great timely interceptions, and it's yeah. it's very encouraging to see. On the night, looking at the defenders, Bobby Wagner finished the night with ten tackles, KJ Wright with nine, and uh, Bradley McDougal with six. I mean, McDougal just is like a different player since Diggs arrived. You saw it on that early third down where he flashes into the backfield and drops the guy at the line of scrimmage. Like yeah. he, you can just tell that he's so comfortable that nobody's going to come over the top of him with Diggs there. Like he's he's playing so free around the line of scrimmage, and it's it's incredibly valuable. He's he's been unbelievable since Diggs has entered the lineup. Yeah, and going down one more spot on the the number of combined tackles, Quandre Diggs there with four. So I think that might be the most that he's had in a particular game. But it just, I think having his presence back there is it's just made a big difference with this defense. It really has, you know. I think uh, it's funny because last year after Earl got hurt, you know, I kind of was very strongly on the side of they're only playing so much cover two and kind of switching up Pete's scheme out of necessity. And then they did it again to start this year. I was like, huh, maybe Pete is just evolving. And then they get Quandary Diggs, and now they're just back to playing a, a lot of single high that traditional Pete defense, and mm-hmm. it just looks it looks right again. And you know, they're playing so well on the defensive side. And it makes such a difference, too, because I know there was that one, I I don't know if it was necessarily a screenplay, but it was just a short pass out to the left. And the receiver acted like he was going to try and wait KJ Wright out, or KJ was going to wait him out. And you know, they're kind of at a stalemate as to who was going to go where. The the receiver is dancing around a little bit, and Diggs just comes in from the side and takes the dude out. (laughs) (laughs) That was a huge hit, too. That was amazing. That was... uh... Like, oh, yeah, this this guy is a Seahawk defensive back when he lays that hit. So on the defensive side, they they come away with three turnovers on the night, two forced fumbles uh, or three forced fumbles and two they're able to recover. And then the one flowers interception. So they do end up on the positive side for turnovers and and that helped make the difference. Yeah, you know, it's one of those things that Pete preaches and preaches and preaches, and sometimes it doesn't seem to uh, to matter all that much, but tonight it was huge. I mean, that Flowers interception was came at just such an important time, and, and the way that he did it just seemed to kind of ignite everything all over again. Flowers did have that interception, but, you know, he was also part of a big play in the fourth quarter where kind of a veteran move by, by Stephon Diggs, where I think we've seen this move by Tyler Lockett. If we've watched in the past where Kirk Cousins on third and 10 and the Seahawks look like, you know, they're playing like they're going to get the stop there in the fourth quarter. This comes after the, the DK Metcalf fumble and it's on third and 10. Kirk Cousins goes deep down the field for 30 yards, and I don't know if Diggs didn't think he was going to be able to make the catch, but he does that move where he stops and allows Flowers to run into him. Uh, Flowers not looking back for the ball, and Diggs able to get the the official to throw the flag on that play. That one was super bizarre, too, because you're watching the replay, and it almost, you know, 
all he's got to do there is turn his head and just make an effort. And they're probably not throwing that flag. And it almost looked like he began to do it. And mm-hmm. then I think he sees in his peripheral vision, like digs his arms start to go up to make the catch. And so he kind of turns right back around. And then that's kind of where the contact comes. And uh, yeah, like you said, it's just a total like veteran savvy move by Diggs and, and credit to him. Because yeah, that's just what a good receiver does. And, and Diggs is phenomenal. So because you, you, know, you are allowed to, to face guard guys as the corner, but you can't make the contact. And so if, if flowers, if he just gets his head turned around, he, he probably doesn't get called, but the, but the fact that, that he does run into him there, just, I, I know a lot of people were, were saying how much Diggs sold it. And yeah, that, and I can't even be mad at it because I enjoyed uh, watching Tyler Lockett do it so many times last year and in, in getting pass interference calls. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that's just one, one of the things that goes into being like a really savvy receiver and, and Lockett is very much that, you know, Doug was very much that and, and Diggs is in the same mold you know just they're just one of those guys that all you can think is this they kind of get it you know they 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 know just what they're doing on every single play and uh whether it's kind of getting open running a beautiful route or or something like that where you're drawing a penalty uh flowers kind of in over his head on that one the vikings able to drive down to the three yard line it's third and three and and you got to think too they're probably going forward on fourth down but uh on that third and three pass cousins puts it up just high enough and holy smokes what a catch by rudolph for the touchdown and and that helps make it 34 30 the vikings within four points yeah that, was, that came out of nowhere all of a sudden it's just like oh okay they got Kyle Rudolph doing Odell impression, reaching up for it. That was, <laughs> it's one of those ones where you just kind of like, you laugh. You're like, oh, I'm not yeah. sure how they're supposed to defend that. That's, that's fine. If, that, if that's how they're going to score their touchdown, fine, whatever. That's how, that, and, and they do get the ball back seven minutes left. They're able to, to get a, a couple first downs. They run it from seven minutes on the clock down to 3.30. Uh, they punt it back to the Vikings. They get it on their 16. Uh, they pick up another 19 yards down over the middle to Kyle Rudolph and uh, Bobby Wagner there for the tackle. And and then it's four downs after that. Uh, the Seahawks defense able to shut them down, uh, even on a fourth and three pass. Cousins just throws it a little bit uh, too far outside for Smith to catch it. And uh, the Seahawks take over, able to not quite uh, run the, the clock down all the way, but they're able to get it in field goal range and uh, get up seven which allows them to kick off and uh, you know they, they they squib kick it and then Travis Homer end up recovering the fumble uh, <laughs> to close the game out just a, a special team star tonight apparently in, in the most bizarre ways possible but uh, there's a huge play by Malik Turner kind of knocking the ball out too and he's one of those guys who I mean I think he's probably played maybe 200 snaps on the year but he just has a positive impact every time he's out there I, I, I adore Malik Turner I think he's a fantastic kind of wide receiver four wide receiver five on this team mm-hmm. he drives the winning with his play yeah malik turner is one of those guys where he he makes some important catches time to time he didn't have a catch tonight but uh, making his presence felt on special teams another guy one of the receivers that uh, we saw for the first time in a while jaron brown back on the field and uh, he caught a pass for six yards yeah, it was very curious. I, I was kind of fascinated that they they activated him. You know, Pete kind of hinted about it towards uh, the end of last week that we could expect him to be active, but um, it was just kind of strange. You know, six or six. I guess it maybe it was a result of Lockett kind of battling the flu. Maybe kind of. Other. That's kind of what I was thinking on that too. And and out of the inactives, it was L.J. Collier who showed up on there that kind of made you feel a little bit better about Jadevian Clowney being out there. And uh, I don't know his final snap count on the night, but we, we saw a lot of clowning out there. Yeah, we saw a ton and we saw him, you know, doing the classic clowny, pursuing the ball carry at full speed, um, which makes me think, you know, he's all good. Maybe he's in a ton of pain, but you're not seeing it. He's um, tonight was a very, 
very typical clowny night in terms of maybe not a ton of stats, but he's showing up and he's just like, God, he's a beast. <laughs> he's a monster. Had one tackle for a loss. He had uh, one hit on the quarterback. Ziggy Anza leading with the hits on the quarterback and uh, had a pass tipped as well. So uh, kind of a big night for Anza. Yeah, I'm hoping that I think Pete said it was just a stinger when he kind of got hurt towards the end there. But um, yeah, you kind of holding his right arm a little bit too, running off the field. Yeah, which which makes I mean, if it was a stinger, it might just have been a case of kind of like numb a yeah. little bit. But um, you know, he he was so powerful against Philly. Um, you know, you just hate to see any kind of suffer like setback to his ability to kind of rebuild up that strength. Like Pete's been saying, he's been struggling with that. You know, if he if he's able to build up that strength, then he'll be a factor, and he was tonight. So. Hopefully it's not anything long term because you know that's part of the story with him is his health. But uh, hopefully he's kind of behind that at least for this year. Yeah, need him down the stretch. Uh, another guy showing up on the stat sheet, Jaron Reed, with two quarterback hits, and he nearly forced a fumble. But they looked at the replay and they said it was a forward pass. I, I don't know if uh, I thought there was enough to overturn that particular play, but it didn't really matter because it was going to be fourth down anyway. It was just going to give the Seahawks a little bit better field position. But uh, Reed gets the the quarterback hit stat. Yeah, that was the, I'm I'm totally with you on that one. I thought it was very uh, you know maybe it was the right call, but it, I was very surprised to see them overturn that. But Reed is kind of ever since that San Francisco game, he seems to be kind of right back in the form that he played last season with, and uh, it's it's very very important to that they play like that. And uh, I, I think he's going to be back like that for the rest of this year. Maybe maybe it's not going to come to Seattle, but I think he's maybe saving the payday that he was uh, he was in line for in, until he was suspended to, um, to start this year. Yeah, it'll be definitely interesting to see what happens with that uh, come the offseason, or even if they take care of it before the offseason. Uh, I want to look uh, go down at some of the, the final team stats for this game, Alistair, before we get on out of here. I think one of the things that we're pointing to, and it was a strength of the Vikings on defense going into this game, was uh, their ability on defense to hold teams within the red zone. And we kind of saw that bear out in this game. The Seahawks only three of six in the red zone where they really had been doing so well to this point of the season. Yeah, that was a very, I think it was a pair of 29 yard field goals that, that Myers had kicked in both ones. They were just like, I think they were on maybe fourth and seven or so. So you couldn't really justify going for it, but it was yeah. just very painful to see them settle for field goals down there. You know, the one that did go through Moore's hands, you kind of can't fault the Seahawks for that. Cause that should have been, should have been a touchdown all things considered, but yeah, they, um, it's just they're a hell of a defense. They're so well coached. It's just everybody kind of, yeah, they're they're a tough, tough team. And the reason why I point that out, too, is because I think that if the Vikings are able to come away with the win at the end, if they're able to make a drive and hold the Seahawks late, then I, I think we are looking at that red zone number as being one of the differences in this game for for the Seahawks if, if they were to have lost. Yeah, absolutely. It's um that's kind of when, when Myers kicked that second 29 yard field goal. And again, it's not something that you can really have an issue with in terms of them going forward or not, because it wasn't in a great spot. I th- like it was kind of fourth and seven, Yeah. but you just think, you know, you're, you're in a game between two really, really close teams and you're settling for two field goals within like 30 yards. It, it just is painful. It's it, regardless of the situation, it hurts. But uh, yeah, like you said, it could have really been a factor had, had Minnesota been able to tie it up at the end there. Third down efficiency numbers on the night for the Seahawks. They go 7 of 15 on offense. Uh, they hold the Vikings to 5 of 10, so each team right about 50%. And uh, time of possession, very outweighed for the Seahawks. 39 minutes of possession for Seattle. Yeah, that's uh, actually quite a bigger disparity than I was expecting. Yeah. Um, wow, that's, <laughs> that is a lot, actually. Um, 
I guess they did have two fairly long drives. I'm just trying to think. I can't really think of one where they were just chewing up clock. But I guess when you run the ball, you know, as much as they were, um, you're going to eat up some clock just by nature of that. Well, and the Vikings able to score so quickly. The Seahawks able to finish off that drive right at the start of the fourth quarter after coming off of the interception by Trey Flowers. That happened just uh, just right at the beginning of the fourth quarter. And then after that, you know, only 30 seconds come off the clock when the Cousins goes deep to Treadwell for 58 yards. Uh, we talk about the, the good night that McDougal had, but he came up to, to kind of cover the tight end over the middle, leaving Treadwell just wide open uh, after, after Griffin kind of let him go down the field. Yeah, I'm very interested. I haven't seen any quotes kind of explaining that yet, but I'm very interested to know if McDougal thought it was like they were playing quarters coverage or if it was cover two and he just kind of took a shot and mm-hmm. got burned. Um, it's one of those funny things where you see everybody in the moment kind of rushing to assign blame and, and nobody really knows until until somebody uh, somebody inside the organization can tell us. And yeah, I haven't seen anything yet, but uh, it didn't look great on McDougal on the replay, that's for sure. No, it didn't. But it'll probably, you know, on the stat sheet, it'll probably go up as a touchdown given up by by Griffin, too, because you know, he was he carried him down to the to point where he let him go. I, I think, you know, when I look at the numbers, they, they usually end up giving it to to the corner in that particular case. But uh, yeah, tough to know without knowing what uh, what the defense was in that situation yeah that one's not gonna look great but um you know all in all is just it was another really strong game for Shaquille Griffin who's who's having an unbelievable season holy smokes yeah for for Diggs to be held in this game in you know in relative check I mean four catches 25 yards yeah I think I think I was kind of trying to keep track of it I think it was 50 50 um or sorry two two catches on Griffin one catch on Flowers and then one catch on Wagner yeah, I was going to say on one of the linebackers over the middle of the field. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's fantastic. You know, I mean, I guess it helps not having Thielen out. You can kind of emphasize Diggs a little bit more. But um, yeah, they just uh, they're playing great right now. Once the defense comes into in the form that they're in right now, that's uh, there's there's a reason they're second place in the conference after tonight, and it's well deserved. Second place behind the New Orleans Saints, and yeah, it makes you feel like gosh if they just get that win too but they've had so many games where you know it could have gone the other way too for the Seahawks you know go back to the Rams game the 49ers game where you know you're counting on an opponent's missed field goal to get the win but they're in first place in the NFC West and talking about the Saints coming up next week for the San Francisco 49ers they have another game on the road and it's in New Orleans it's uh, the Niners are uh Facing an onslaught right now. It's going to be fascinating to see how they come out of it. Um, you know, from a just from like a, a fan of football standpoint, I kind of want that week 17 game to be for the division, see it flex into Sunday night football and, and make them come up to Seattle for, for the division. But uh, could you imagine, Alistair? Could you? Do, okay. Now we kind of have to root for San Francisco to win this coming weekend for it to happen. But it could be the case where that week 17 game is not only playing for the division title, but playing for the number one seed in the conference. It would be insane. It would. <laughs> I mean, Boog and uh, Tessator tonight were just going on about the crowd like it was the first time they'd ever been in Seattle. But if that's the case in Week 17, it's going to be absolutely rocking in that stadium. And uh, yeah, I mean, I'm thinking back to 2010 when they hosted St. Louis for there for. Uh, the division and it's just like to win the division at seven and nine <laughs> and that nine, was insane yeah. <laughs> for that how good of the teams they are this this time around like oh my god it would be it would be one of the best games of the season it would be 
absolutely glorious. Oh, the ticket prices for that game are already getting ridiculous. So I, I can't even imagine what it's going to be like if it if it plays out that way, because I don't know. I don't know even if I want to pick who I want to win come next week between the 49ers and Saints, because part of me wants the 49ers to lose just to make it that much more of a cushion for the Seahawks to get the divisional win. But again, Part of me as a, as a football fan for it to come down for it, for that big of a game to decide for first place and first round by, especially if it's for the Seahawks, because I kind of want that, that first overall seed. So you have home field advantage throughout the playoffs, but just that consequence that if you lose and, and then you're in fifth place and you got to go play probably Dallas, maybe the Eagles, uh, what a big swing. Well, we say all that, but then you know that Arizona is going to come to Seattle in week 16 and get, the, get their standard win. So it's all going to be for not. You know? So see, we need, we need San Fran to lose to the Saints. That's all there is to it. Thank you for helping me figure that out. Yeah, we need that cushion for the, the standard frustrating loss. And Cardinals will sign Michael Floyd and he'll make an amazing catch as he always does. And it's just going to be hell. It's, it's every single one against Arizona and Seattle is weird. It's always rainy. It's one o'clock. They have like the worst Fox broadcast team on. It's just it's an unpleasant experience all around. Let's stop putting the negative energy out there at the end of the episode, Alistair. Let, let's close it out, reminding people the Seahawks are 10-2, and two, and it's just the fourth time in franchise history that they start the season at 10-2. and two. Uh, they, they continue their incredible record on Monday night in prime time. The, the, it was pointed out in the broadcast how the Seahawks, in their franchise history, not just in the Pete Carroll-Russell Wilson era, in franchise history, the best team on Monday night football. It's they just they have those big games in them and they're just made for prime time. I can't remember somebody said tonight, you know, there's no better place for prime time than Seattle, and it's true. And they just live up to it time and time again. It's it's fantastic. Alistair Corp, thanks for coming on and helping break down the game with me. Uh, if people want to follow you on Twitter, if they want to, what do you got working on for field goals coming up this week? Yeah, we'll just be be breaking down the uh, the coach's film from this game and just kind of finding out kind of what uh, what stands out in terms of what was fun, um, you know, what was going on. And uh, I'm getting really excited because Rashad Penny is just an unbelievably fun running back to watch. And uh, there's going to be a ton of clips in that story this week because, uh, yeah, I, I'm a big fan of this game, so I'm excited to get, to get a closer look. Follow along at fieldgoals.com. Follow along on Twitter by Alistair Corp. You can follow me at SeahawkersPod. And Alistair, appreciate you coming on. And I think with that, let's get on out of here. What a win by the Seahawks. Go Hawks! <laughs>